What's going on, everybody? Brandon Spano here, another podcast ready to go. Uh, no guest today. No guest today. I'm, I'm apparently not cool enough to find a guest to get on with me. I asked a bunch of our guys internally. No one would do the podcast with me. So here I am. The Lonely CEO episode. It's solo. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, though, today. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I, I've got a lot of insight here. At least I think that it's insight. Maybe it's not. Um, but a, a lot of media stuff, all sports stuff, and a lot of things to go on. I just said in the last episode we're not doing book stuff or anything. Uh, and then here I am like, you know what? I was reading the reviews. A lot of people were saying that they liked some of the different stuff that's on this pod. So I was like, you know what? On days I do this alone, maybe I should talk about, you know, where my head is at right now and and what's something that's been inspiring me. So before we get into um, this quick podcast, let's just talk about real quick two things, the professional and resistance. Uh, I read this book, The War of Art, a couple weeks ago, which has been on my list forever. And it's really small, actually. Um, and, And I just... It's 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 really really good and and one of the things that it talks about is a the professional, and I know what you're thinking. No, the professional is not somebody who gets up and wears a suit and tie and acts a certain way and is an expert at something. A professional is simply somebody who gets up and throughout the day engages in something that they take serious that they think is important. They're consistently engaged, trying to get better, learning about it and working inside of it. That's what a professional is. That's what a real professional is. There's a lot of people that are doing jobs out there that aren't doing that inside of their own jobs. They're not professional. Um, So, you know, there's not some sort of barrier that you have to cross or a bunch of things that you have to achieve in order to be a professional. And he blends this with resistance, which is really the main theme of the book, in my opinion, it's being able to break through resistance, which is the one thing that anybody and everybody who's achieved anything and everything has been able to do. And what I've been saying recently, as I've been looking at this and and leaning it up against my own career in life is that, you know, what I've noticed is that the bigger walls of resistance that you break down, the bigger the goal is, uh, the bigger the reward is rather on the other side. And I think what happens is that very early on, you want to do something like you want to sell products, but in order to sell products, you need to, um, maybe you need to set up a Shopify store and that's first. And, and that's like the first wall of resistance and you're consistently, like looking up some things about it or you're reading about it or you're asking people about it. And then as time goes on, it kind of falls off and then you never end up doing it. And now you're just a guy that's talking about building a Shopify store. And what that means is that you never bypass that first wall of resistance, which was learn how to build a Shopify store. And, and I think that what most successful people have in common is that they, they stay up all night and they learn how to build a Shopify store. They either do it or they take a class or they figure it out something, you know, um, like for example, the guy who's producing this podcast, Adam Mares, my partner, 
one of my partners in this company and, um, you know, one of our VPs, um, this is just, I, I see him constantly doing this. It's like, okay, Adam really wants the company's vision to be inside of this certain scope. And he's not exactly how to, sh how to do it um, through all of the different softwares and, and things, uh, you know, the digital imaging. And, and this is, this is far beyond my, my pay grade is what I'm talking about right now. Um, but he goes and he figures this out, whether it's after effects or some other Adobe properties, right? He goes in and he just like figures it out. Um, and that that's just a simple example of breaking through a wall of resistance. And, and this is kind of what all people who um, are successful are able to do is break through these walls of resistance. Maybe somebody does break through that Shopify store wall of resistance. And then the next step is they actually have to, you know, because of the product they want to sell, they've got to find a way to get a large number of those wholesale online Um and they never do that work. Or maybe they do do that work and they figure it out, but they find out it's more than they thought it was going to be. So they need to figure out how to, how to, how to get that capital. And maybe that next step is going to be like asking a bunch of people for money or trying to figure out how to take out debt or trying to figure out how to raise some sort of friends and family capital or something. Right. Um, and like, that's probably a pretty big wall of resistance for people. And if you figure that one out though, well, now you've done the Shopify store, you've located your products and now you're about to be able to sell them, right? So boom, like that's a huge wall to bypass. And that's what I mean by the walls only get bigger, but the rewards get bigger on the other side as well. So boom, you bypass that one. Now you're really in business all of a sudden, right? But now the real big problem comes, you have this business and this inventory, this way to scale and all this stuff, but what about your customers, right? So it just keeps going and going. And, and that's how business goes, but it's not even just about business. It's about life in general. And I think if you look at everything as, oh, okay, uh, here's another resistance wall. My job is to beat it. You end up becoming this person that, and I think you've heard CEOs just say that they're putting out fires and, and solving problems. And I think that this is what they mean. Um, so this quote now is going to make sense to you. I thought this was a beautiful quote from the war of art. A professional is prepared at a deeper level. He's prepared each day to confront his own self-sabotage. The professional understands that resistance is fertile and ingenious and will throw stuff at him that he has never seen before. The professional is prepared mentally to absorb blows and to deliver them. His aim is to take what the day gives him. He is prepared to be prudent and to be reckless if he must, to take a beating if he has to, and to go for the throat when he can. He understands that the field alters every day. His goal is not victory because he knows that success will come by itself when it wants to, but to handle himself, his insides, as sturdily and as steadily as he can. And I just thought that that's like such an amazing quote. It's pretty much like, this guy knows that there's going to be some issues. There's going to be stuff thrown at him. He's not going to be able to control any of that. The only thing he's going to be able to control is how he handles that. And his job is just to overcome this stuff. So love that. Hey, let's jump right into this. Uh, let's start right now. Big news of the day here. Or I should say this is 
the big news of last week. I'm assuming you're listening to this on a beautiful Monday afternoon here. Uh, ESPN to lay off 300 people. They're going to take 200 additional jobs off the market. Uh, they were looking, they had applications out and that they were building on. Um, so 500 jobs off the grid. Huge, right? And moving more and more from traditional media to digital media. Uh, Bob Lay, Hall of Fame broadcaster tweeted out, I'm trying to remain objective and unemotional as I learn of the ESPN team, team members laid off today, but it's not possible. Not as I see countless decades of journalistic experience and expertise jettisoned just when we need it most. Enjoy the Disney stock price and your NFL football. And that's super easy to say, you know, this is super easy to say as an old guy that doesn't have a great understanding of the way the media model works right now. But, um, you know, this is a company Disney announced. So, so here's the numbers. This is a company Disney announces that had lost $4.7 billion between April and June in its media networks group, Right. $4.7 $4.7 billion, not, not in annual losses. We're talking about between April and June and it's media networks group, which includes ESPN was down 10%. Okay. So, you know, this isn't a charity, um, which way too many journalists have looked at the industry as every time that there's some sort of, you know, scale back every time that there's some sort of, you know, large layoff like this. It's like, Hey, I'm needed. My job's important. I don't really care where the money comes from. Uh, this is bullshit. And, and I hate to say it, but the one thing I noticed about a lot of the folks who are losing their jobs is that they don't exactly have a huge impact on digital and social media. And that's where the company's trying to go right now. Uh, The future of ESPN is less content, less journalism and less coverage and more live broadcast via mobile and TV apps. And that's the right move for them, in my opinion. They're making the right move. They're doing the right thing Um, if they want to stay alive, right? Because that's what this is about. And it's incredibly difficult to keep a company alive. Uh, We take that for granted because you see these big companies that are making money and they've been around for a long time and you just get used to seeing that. Uh, what you don't see is the millions and millions of companies over the time that you've been watching ESPN that have tried to do something, anything, um, and didn't make it. Uh, and so ESPN has a, a fiduciary responsibility, not only to their you know, f- public shareholders at Disney, um, and, you know, fans who watch the games and the relationships with the league and all of their other employees um, and their community, uh, you know, all of these people to stay alive and to to deliver the main product that, that they're known for. And this is one of the things that they have to do to go there. Um, so, so, you know, that's, that's the other side of this. Cause I know that there's part of that here there that sounded probably a little heartless for me. Um, Let's jump to the NBA, the NBA update here. NBA wants to start a 72-game season on December 22nd, while the Players Association wants a mid-January start. Um, You know, there's a lot of speculation out there right now. There's not a lot of concrete stuff when it comes down to this. NHL is really silent about this stuff. 
from what I've read, if they go later than December 22nd, there's a chance that we'll see games taken off of the schedule, uh, which is going to impact player salaries. The Players Association wants a later start and all of the games and all of their salaries, which the NBA Players Association, I think that historically has won a lot. I think that they're one of the groups that... um, you know, I, I think that they're one of the groups that when you look at in sports has quite a bit of control. I think that that player group has more control than in any other league. Um, so here's where the NBA is at, regardless of the 72 game start on December 22nd or a mid-January start. Uh, the vast majority of the public won't have a vaccine by then, even if the vaccine comes out soon. It's going to go to first responders first, and then it'll go to high risk individuals as the next phase. Um, So, you know, the vast majority of people who are listening to this right now, maybe all of you uh, are going to be like, you know, best case scenario, Q2 on a vaccine. Uh, And and these leagues aren't going to wait until Q2 to launch, even though I think that they were hoping that if they waited until late December, early January, that they could get butts in the seats. Uh, as we know right now, COVID is just rocking and rolling, right? It's strongest, about to go on its strongest run to date. Um, let's talk about the NBA, though. Uh, to make up for some losses, the NBA wants to expand sports betting and casino guidelines, um, which is a hint, in my opinion, at license fees and, and maybe some brand collaboration. Um, Joe Pompliano tweeted that the estimated revenue generation that they were expecting was between 80 to $100 million in combined revenues. Like, that's that's good money. Don't get me wrong. Um, for the NBA, that doesn't really move the needle, though. It really doesn't. This is a really, really big business. Um, and, and we're going to get into that in a second here, but I, I think that the next year will determine what the near future of the NBA looks like. And the following season will determine what the long-term future of the NBA financial model looks like long-term. And I think that's the same for the NHL too. I think both of these, these teams are in the same, uh, these, these leagues rather are in the same boat. Uh, they need essentially these three things to happen in order to fully restore player salaries and its growth and keep national and and particularly regional sports networks alive. Uh, One, they have to get broadcast ratings back so they can keep license fees at the current price point. Um, They have to keep generating ad dollars at their current level uh, because that's its cash cow, right? So those are the two things that the broadcast ratings get them. They're allowed to charge that ridiculous. I mean, the license fee is, is unbelievable. Um, I won't share it because I'm not sure what how public that information is supposed to be. Um, but the license fee is huge to carry NBA. And then it, it's why a lot of people don't have, it's, it's why somebody like Altitude, for example, doesn't have live streaming, uh, digital mobile streaming, and they force everything through television because they don't know how to monetize it, uh, you know, 
uh, enough mobile subscribers to be able to retain that license fee. Uh, and then, you know, it obviously allows them to generate the ad dollars, like I said, uh, at this current level. And, and I think that's the number one important thing. The second thing, in my opinion, is they have to get people back in the seats. The NBA lost nearly $1 billion in playoff ticket revenue, according to Ticket IQ. So we're not talking about the season, but we're talking about just the playoffs alone. They lost a billion dollars in ticket revenue. I, I'm sure somebody can do the math there, but, you know, figure out how many playoff games there were, uh, you know, divided by a million. That's your average that you make per year in, you know, ticket revenues. Or I'm sorry, that's how, that's the average that you make per game in ticket revenues. Um, you know, maybe cut that in half and say, uh, okay, you make half of that for a regular season game. You can probably actually find exactly what that percentage is. And then how many games did they miss throughout the regular season? Multiply that number by those many games. And that's how much they lost. It's probably in the billions and billions of dollars. Um, now this is one that we can assume is coming back because this virus has to end at some point. At least I, I hope to God that it does. Um, so, uh, we can assume that in the near future, there'll be people back in the seats. Maybe not this year, probably not this year, uh, especially where the NBA sits politically. Um, they try to be that league, so probably can't get people back in the seats this year, but I could be wrong on that. Um, and then number three, they need to open new markets to make up for lost capital. Uh, it's either that or, as they say, charge it to the game, uh, which is essentially it's gone. There's nothing we can do about it. It's gone forever. Um, but if they want to make up for that lost capital, and this is something that I've seen float in front of me a couple times here in the last week is that they could potentially open new markets. And I think this is the same for the NBA and the NHL. One of the problems, particularly with the NBA is that they already have a competition issue and they already have a dilution issue in skill um, across the league. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, knee-jerk opinion on that is opening up new markets would, would, would just exacerbate that problem. But we have people in this company who would probably um, be able to give you a much more uh, you know, much more clarification around an opinion like that than me. And then last on the docket today, Barstool Sportsbook opens up this week at Ameristar Casino in Blackhawk, Colorado. Um, this is their brick and mortar. And, you know, people people are asking me about it. So I figured, okay, well, I'll, I'll answer it. And here's my main thing is like, I just don't think it affects us very much. I, you know, um, I personally am a huge Erica Nardini guy. Uh, you know, my fiance, Lindsay, she loves Erica. Um, I think that what Barstool has done on the business side has been tremendous. I think that they're, they're category leaders. Uh, in some sense, they're kind of a competitor to us and others. They're totally not. Um, we really cater to team oriented sports and sports coverage. Um, for the most part, uh, we do have some of the, you know, independent creator feel that they have. Um, we have Brinch, you know, ventured out outside of sports a little bit on some things, uh, but they've done a much more. We do sell merchandise. So do they, um, we aren't, 
you know, necessarily as serious as the athletic, but we aren't like maybe as recreational of a feel as barstool. So we're just kind of in between there. Um, one thing I've always said is because nobody's our competition, everybody is. And, and that's just kind of a sentence for investors to show them that it's like, listen, there's no one who really does exactly what we do, but we recognize that because we're in this space, there's a target on our back and like the newspaper thinks we compete with them. And so does the athletic because of our subscription thing. And like, um, you know, locked on podcast thinks we're a competitor because we have podcasts and SB nation thinks we're a competitor because we have a site and like, you know, barstool might think we're a competitor because we have podcasts and merchandise, you know, and it's in a bar. Um, but you know, it's just like, okay, you know, to me, I just don't look at this space like that. Um, I'm not super territorial and competitive in that sense. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't want to win the market and it doesn't mean that uh, we don't want a ton of fans. But like at the end of the day, when you're digital, you're sharing users, you know, one download at a time or a page view at a time or an impression at a time. And I think that, um, you know, as essentially, uh, you know, as long as they visit our site or download one of our podcasts or, um, you know, buy one of our shirts, come to the bar, whatever. I don't really care what else they do if they go to the Barstool Sportsbook or something like that. So, um, you know, for us, we're a DraftKings company. All of our employees use the DraftKings Sportsbook app. All of our users use DraftKings. Uh, we just look at DraftKings as you know, as us, like we're DraftKings, DraftKings is us. Um, and so, you know, in, in that sense, sure, there's something there, but again, like until that app opens in this market, um, there's not necessarily competition there at all. So that's my, I guess, uh, lukewarm, uh, not a, not a super fiery hot take on, um, the barstool sports book, actual, you know, brick and mortar, um, casino opening up at, uh, Ameristar. And that's it for the show. That's it for today. I'm all done today. Thank you guys for listening. I have some good guests lined up next week. I'm excited to get this going. Make sure you follow me at Brandon Spano 303 on TikTok. Um, pretty soon it's going to be at Brandon Spano CEO. So like if you're listening to this, you know, three months from now or something and you're listening back, it won't be 303 anymore. Um, but uh, I'm dropping a lot of knowledge on there. At least I'm trying to. And then uh, my Twitter, of course, is at Brandon Spano. I've been real active there. So, uh, hey guys, thanks for hanging out with me. See you next time.